0: <laughs> and laughs Theater of the Mind The best love programs from radio's golden age Only on Zoomer Radio Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor
1: Well, thank you, and welcome to the show We start a brand new month with an old comedy team, Bud Abbott and Lucas Costello. Their work in radio and film and television made them the most popular comedy team of the 1940s and early 50s. Their patter routine, Who's On First, is one of the best-known comedy routines of all times. Now, the team's first known radio broadcast was on the Kate Smith Hour, February 3rd of 1938. In 1940, Universal Studios signed them for a musical, One Night in the Tropics, well, they were cast in supporting roles, but they stole a the show with several classic routines, including Who's On First. Universal signed them to a, two-year, a two-picture contract. Their second film, Buck Privates 1941, directed by Arthur Lubin and co-starring the Andrews sisters, was a massive hit, earning $4 million at the box office and launching Abbott and Costello as stars. Universal loaned the team to metro golden mayer for a musical comedy, Rio Rita, in 1942. And during the filming on December 8th of 41, a day after the attack on Pearl Harbor, Abbott and Costello had their hand and footprints set in concrete at what was then Grauman's Chinese Theater. In 42, exhibitors voted them the top box office stars in the country, and their earnings for the fiscal year were $789,000.26. The team did a 35-day tour during the summer of '42 to promote and sell war bonds. The Treasury Department credited them with $85 million in sales. Now, things weren't always rosy between the two. In 1945, a rift developed when Abbott hired a domestic servant who had been fired by Costello. So Costello refused to speak to his partner except when performing. Abbott resolved the rift when he suggested naming Costello's Pet Charity a foundation for underprivileged children the Lou Costello Junior Youth Foundation. The facility opened in 1947 and still serves the Boyle Heights District of Los Angeles. And now to tonight's episode featuring Lynn Berry.
2: and Costello program, brought to you by Campbell's, the cigarette that's first in the service. Campbell's stay fresh, because they're packed to go around the world. (laughs) Listen to the music of Freddie Rich and his orchestra, the songs of Connie Hayes. Tonight's special guest, star of the 20th Century Fox picture, Tantico, Miss Lynn Barry, and starring Bud Abbott and Lou Costello.
3: Boy, (laughs) what's the matter? Hey, Abbott, come on, come on. Help me get dressed, please. I've got to get to the broadcast right away. Take it easy. There's lots of time. What's the excitement? Excitement. Tonight, we're having Lynn Barry as our guest star. And I'm going to make love to her. Boy, oh, boy. All right. See, if I'm late, she might walk out of me. So what? Let her walk out. There's plenty of fish in the sea. Yeah, but who wants to park in a dock with a shark? (laughs) Oh, please. Never mind. Come on. Get your clothes on and let's go. Okay, now, kid. Hey, listen, Abbott. I'm waiting for my new suit. Boy, it's going to be beautiful. It is? The most gorgeous suit you ever saw. Is that right? Yeah, the coat is red with green stripes. It's got pink lapels and orange buttons. Wait a minute. A red coat with green stripes, pink lapels, and orange buttons? Yeah. I suppose you're going to wear yellow pants? What? And have people stare at me? (laughs) What do you think I am? I'm a dope? Yellow pants. Yeah. They clash with my purple shoes The purple shoes? <laughs> Charlie, I never heard of such thick yellow pants All right, all right, drop the pants I can't Why not? <laughs> my red underwear won't match my lavender vest <laughs> Now, don't be ridiculous I wouldn't let you meet Lynn Barry in clothes like that You'd better wear one of my suits hey, Here, I'll lend you my uh, dress suit That old thing, it's full of moth holes Oh, there isn't a single moth in that suit You said it, they're all married and got children Now, wait a minute <laughs> Just a minute. We don't have any moths in our clothes closet. No more, see No. Just open that closet door and see. Okay, I will. No more, see All right, so there's one. One? That was the mother. Here comes the children. That last one was just hatched. That's a brand new baby moth. Well, all right, forget about the moths. Here, look. I'll lend you one of my other suits. Now, let's see. There's the uh, worsted, a plaid, a tweed, and that dark one is a twill. A twill? Certainly. Didn't you ever have a twill? Oh, sure. I get a big twill when i ride on the wall of Ah, no, no. Don't be silly. The a awful, Twilly. Here's just the suit for you. It belongs to my father. It's his dinner suit. Uh, there's a little breakfast on it, too. No, 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 you dummy. This is his soup and fish. It looks like egg to me. Listen, Godzilla. When you lived at home, didn't your family dress for dinner? Why, certainly we dressed. What do you think we did, come to the table in our underwear? Look, what's the matter with you? Didn't you ever wear dinner clothes? Yeah, I always wear pajamas. Pajamas are not dinner clothes. They are if you eat in bed. (laughs) Now, that isn't what I mean. You see... As long as I can remember, the men in our family have always worn their tails to dinner. That's a very pretty picture. Yes, it is. Where I come from, a man with tails is called a gentleman. Where I come from, we call a monkey. Oh. I mean, after all, that's uh, what they call him. Come in. Oh, it's Ken Nile. Say, Ken. Costello needs a suit in a hurry. Can he borrow yours? Uh, Well, uh, I'll have to go outside and ask a little woman. A little woman? Her neck alone is three feet long.
4: I heard that remark, Costello. I'll have you know my neck is not long. Oh,
3: no? Last time I saw a neck like that, a jockey was bending over it.
4: Am I insulting you! How dare you compare me to a horse? Why, I have an aristocratic face. My grandfather was a count.
3: You're right, Count Fleet.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Kenneth, are you going to stand there and let Costello compare me to a horse?
3: Nay, nay. Well, um, (laughs) that was a
4: very snappy part. Costello,
3: with your appearance, you're a fine one to talk about Mrs. Niles.
4: Certainly. Just look at yourself, fat boy. I'm not fat. Oh, no? I saw you fall down yesterday and you rocked yourself to sleep trying to get up. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Now,
3: look, let's stop this fighting. Uh, look, Mrs. Niles, Costello has to borrow a suit for the broadcast tonight. Uh, yes, dear. Uh, may I lend him mine?
4: Kenneth Niles, before I let you do that, I'd lock you up in the attic.
2: Uh, gee, dear, you, you just let me out.
5: <laughs>
4: uh, come in.
3: Hello, boys. Oh, it's my friend Meyer, the butcher. What's going on, Meyer? Oh, boy, am I excited. What is happening to me today shouldn't happen to two dogs. One dog couldn't handle it.
5: (laughs) Why,
3: what's the matter? It's my wife, Sophie. After ten years, it's going to happen. Today is the day, and I've got to be by her side. So you got to come over right away, Louie, and take care of my butcher shop, huh? Now, wait a minute, Meyer. I can't do that. We're going to broadcast. I'm going to do a love scene with, Ly- with Lynn Barry. But, Louie, would you rather do a love scene with Lynn Barry than mine, mine butcher shop? Can a duck swim? That's a silly answer. You ask silly questions, you get silly answers. <laughs> Costella, come on. We have to get to the studio. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Think of my wife. Louis, you never do anything for me. Meyer, you shouldn't say that. Now I do. Now, five years ago, I gave you the money to open up the butcher shop. And when you were sick, I paid for the operation. Then when the government was gonna put you in jail, I paid your income tax. And six months ago, when your house was on fire, I ran into the burning building and Say, I never do anything for you. Yeah, but what have you done for me lately?
2: ready Rich plays a Cole Porter favorite. I've got you under my skin.
3: Open your big mouth just because you want to help Meyer. We're stuck here in a butcher shop. But come on. We might as well get the orders out. Uh, you dress the chickens. Me dress the chickens? Why should I? They're all enough to dress themselves. No, I'll dress the chickens. You bring me the other fowl. What fowl? Uh, duck. Why should I duck? I'm not ashamed to help Meyer. No, I mean duck. Duck in the icebox. Why should I duck in the icebox? You duck in the icebox, oh, you bitch sissy. Now, here, take it easy. I'm glad to help my friend Meyer. And this wonderful little woman All right I know what they're going through Why, only last week A little stranger Came to live at our house Really? Yes, my sister married a midget Oh, come on
5: <laughs>
3: Castelli, you're impossible Hello, Meyer's butcher shop Hello, this is Meyer on the wire Oh, Meyer How's the wife? Anything happen yet? No, Louie It's a very slow process How's things by the shop? Oh, listen, Meyer Mrs. Jones sent back The Christmas turkey you sold her She says it only has one leg what does she want to do, eat it or dance with it? <laughs> oh, well, did Meyer say when he's coming back? Do you realize that Lynn Barry's probably at the studio now waiting for us? Now, Abbott, this is more important. Let her wait. I got plenty of women waiting for me. 50, 60, 70. 50, 60, 70? Yes, and I wish I could find some a little younger. Oh, come on.
5: <laughs> now,
3: Abbott, women and beautiful women always chase me. See, I don't know why. You think I... <laughs> I don't know. And any minute, a gorgeous girl is apt to walk in that
4: door. Oh, there you are, Costello. Oh. Oh. So you want to borrow my Kenneth suit, eh? So you were going to make love to Lynn Berry, eh? And now I find you in a
6: butcher shop, eh?
3: You're going to run out of eight coupons. <laughs> Costello, for your information, Mrs. Niles is one of Meyer's best customers. Yeah, Now yes. take her order. <laughs> huh? Yes. I should take her order. Take the order.
4: Yes.
3: Did you come in with an order? Never mind that. What well, do you want me to take it? Just take it. Well, somebody is lost.
4: I, uh, I, <laughs> Mr. Costello. Yes, dear. I want twenty cents worth of dog meat.
3: Shall I wrap it up, or do you want to eat it
5: here? <laughs> oh, no
4: wrap. No, oh, oh, that's the last straw. Now uh, you yeah, see.
3: Now look what you've done.
4: I've never been so insulted in all my life. After all these years of trading with my eyes, I, I have to come in here and be humiliated. It's insulted. Okay, okay, okay,
3: okay. Costello. Oh. Costello. Costello, don't stand there. Apologize. Okay. Come on. Mrs. Niles, if I said anything to offend you, I'm glad of it. Uh, <laughs> Costello, I said apologize. Okay. Mrs. Niles, I'm sorry I suggested that you eat the dog meat here. Is that better? That's much better. Wait until you get home. Ah,
5: Costello.
4: Oh! That's all. Cancel my order.
3: Well, you lost Mrs. Niles' order, Costello. You'll have to change your slip. I can't have it. But... What do you mean you can't change your slip? I'm not wearing any. Oh. <laughs> oh, pardon me.
4: Where do I find Lou Costello? That ain't me. Pardon me. Where do I find Lou Costello? Here I am, over by the pickle barrel. Well, raise your hand so I'll know which one is you. (laughs) Hey, Abbott, who is this fresh name?
3: Costello. Don't you recognize her? Lynn Barry. Gee, Miss Barry, how did you ever know, and how did you ever find me in this butcher shop?
4: Where else would I look for a fat meatball? (laughs) here, Costello. I'm supposed to do a play on your program tonight. Where do you expect to put it on? In this butcher shop?
3: And why not? Lots of plays were done about butcher shops. Did you ever hear of Hamlet? The Merchant of Venison? Did
5: <laughs> you ever hear of Abe's
3: Irish Roast? No, oh, come on. <laughs> that's ridiculous. Oh, yeah? Ridiculous, huh? How about the story about a hog? Pygmalion. million. <laughs>
5: oh, that's crazy. Crazy, huh?
3: They even wrote a great picture about cows. What picture? Guadalcanal Dairy. (laughs) Boy, did I milk that one.
4: Come to think of it, how about your last picture? Hit the eyes. There was no meat in that one. I don't know. I saw two hands in it. Now, wait a minute,
3: Lynn. Don't pay any attention to Costello. He isn't very B-R-I-G-H-T.
4: Yes, he does appear to be rather S-T-U-P-I-D. I I heard that. What do you think I am, a (laughs) D-O-P-P? Listen, Mr. Abbott, what about this play? Well,
3: Lynn, it's an original play, and Costello will be your leading man.
4: Costello? He could never play that part. Why not? My leading man must be able to brush me into his arms Weep me off his, uh, off my feet and carry me away. You don't want a leading man. You want a street cleaner.
5: Costello,
4: <laughs> that's no way to
3: talk to our guest. Can't well, you be nice? Yes. Miss Barry. if you'll do this play with me in the butcher shop, I'll take you out after the broadcast. We'll go for a drive. But, Lou, there's no more pleasure driving. Yeah, but there's still pleasure parking. Ah. <laughs> Who wants to park at a coop with a droop? Your technique is all wrong, Costello. Is if that you want so? to take out a beautiful girl like Lynn Barry, the first thing to do is hire a limousine and
4: chauffeur, a Rolls Royce, of course. Then you buy me flowers,
3: orchids, naturally. Then cocktails at the Windsor House,
4: dinner at Romanoff with caviar and champagne. Then tickets
3: for the theater, first row. After that, you make the rounds of the nightclub,
4: winding up at the Trocadero. And then you get into
3: your limousine again and drive down Wilshire Boulevard. Stop the car! Stop the car! What for? I want to stop at the finance company and make a loan. Oh. <laughs> Johnny
2: Haynes sings a lovely ballad, My Ideal.
6: He's a dream, and yet he might be just around the corner waiting for me. Will I recognize the light in his eyes that no other eyes reveal? Or oh, will I pass him? Down I never even know that he is my, my dear. Maybe he's a dream.
3: What's it all about? Oh, it's a great story, Abbott. It's about Buffalo Bill and the Wild West. Can you play a Western gal, Miss Barry?
4: Can I play a Western gal? Why, where I comes from, they all call me Tex. Where
3: you all come from, Tex?
4: Oklahoma. Uh,
3: just a second, Costello. Since when are you a Western character? Are you kidding, partner? What, well, do used to call me Six-Gun Costello. But I had to change it to two-gun. Why? Cause with six guns, every time I took a
4: step, my pants fell down. Yuck, yuck, yuck,
5: yuck, yuck. That's
4: another character for you. Well, Six Gun, I'll agree to play the part. Sounds fun squaw to me. What's the tip? I said it sounds fun squaw. Oh, fun squaw. I used to hunt bar down there every yard.
3: <laughs> yeah, all right, lock I do I don't believe all this, Custer. Oh, y'all! Ah, no, 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 no. You don't know anything about the West. Oh, no? I was raised on a dud ranch. You mean a dude ranch? I said dud. No women.
4: (laughs) Must have been near no gals, Arizona. Har, har. Foreign
3: squaw. Lou, this is ridiculous. Must be a couple of southern cop Go ahead, Ken. Set the scene. Uh, Go ahead. And now... Somebody better set the scene. And now, our play of the evening,
2: a saga of the adventurous West, The Life of Buffalo Bill, brought to you direct from Meyer's Butcher Shop and starring the Abbott and Costello pickled Pig pick, feet players. <laughs> and as an extra special attraction, Meyer has goose liver at 10 cents a pound. As the scene opens, Buffalo Bill, Costello, and Buckskin Abbott are on the trail. Suddenly, a shot rings out.
3: This is Meyer on the wire. Hello there, Meyer. This is Buffalo. What have I got in my store? I'm talking Buffalo. No, no, Meyer. This is Buffalo. I'm, I'm talking from Indian Heights. Please give him my butcher shop in Boyle Heights. Now, Meyer, will you stop bothering me? i got to go out and kill some Indians. What's the matter? We're we running out of meat. <laughs> oh, never mind that. What's new with Sophie? Well, it's still a very slow process.
4: Look, I can't
3: talk to you now, Meyer. Call me back.
4: This is the craziest play I ever heard. When do I come in?
3: In just a second, Lynn. Costello and I are still on the trail approaching the camp of your father. Uh, read your line, Costello. Oh, yeah. Buckskin, bud. It's getting dark, and we're going to run into a heap of trouble. Yes, Buffalo. If we don't reach the stockade by sundown, the Indians will massacre us in the dark. They'll scalp us alive. Well, what are you going to do? we got to get word through to Gene Autry. Uh, uh, Gene Autry? <laughs> shh, shh, Buffalo, look. Here comes an Indian, chief. He's going to speak to us. How? Hula, gala, pala, mula. How? Mila, pula, ganda, munda, malabala. Costello! I didn't know you spoke Indian. I don't. Something went wrong with my typewriter. (laughs) (laughs) Me. (laughs) Me welcome you. Me, chief Flatfoot. Who gave you that name? Great white father? No, great
4: white draft boy. I... <laughs> Chief Flatfoot, I come to marry a daughter, Moon Eyes, the one over there. Moon Eyes could not come. I am her sister, Cross Eyes.
5: <laughs> Me
4: glad to meet you. Greetings, white fish. Not fish face. <laughs> Greetings, fish face. <laughs>
3: I don't think she... I don't think she likes you, uh, Buffalo. Now, let me handle this. Look here, cross-eyes. I want to marry you. Now, what do you say, gal? No, marry you.
4: Me marry the bicarbonate kid. The bicarbonate Bicarbonate kid? kid? Yes. Wild Bill Hiccup.
3: (laughs) I used to know him as Hopalong Acidity. (laughs) Then everything is settled. White man, you go. What's that... I've been an Indian scout for now on for 20 years. And you're the most despicable, obnoxious, incorrigible renegade that I've ever encountered. Them's hard words, Buffalo. Hard words?
4: You're right. But I said (laughs) them. Buffalo Bill, you be careful what you say to my father. He's strong. I
3: smell him. Yes, no.
5: (laughs) He's strong. Me not wear
3: shoes. Me not wear clothes. Me sleep in wind, rain and snow, no roof. Me eat raw corn, raw meat, raw fish. You do all that? Yes, and I'm sick and tired of the whole thing.
5: Oh, boy, what a play.
3: Oh, I'm glad you like it. <laughs> well, Indian girl, I want you to marry me.
4: It's no use. You cannot marry me unless you get my mother's consent. I've taken care of that, cross-eyes. I married your mother... So now I'm
3: your father. So listen, daughter, you have my consent to marry me as soon as I can get a divorce from your old lady, your mother. (laughs) Now wait a minute, Buffalo. The Indians are going to attack us. Me afraid, Buffalo. Don't worry, cross eyes. Get behind me. If you hear a shot, get in front of me. Look out. Here they
5: come. Run for your (laughs) lives.
4: Me Meyer, I'm back! Oh boy, what a play! (laughs) Costello,
3: Abbott, Miss Barry, I want to thank you sincerely for watching my butcher shop while my wife Sophie is having a crisis. Gee, Meyer! Well, tell me, what what happened? Such a day! Girls with white uniforms are rushing in and out. I'm walking up and down, I'm biting my nails, I couldn't eat nothing. But everything turned out wonderful! Sophie is resting up, boy, I'm so excited! Gosh, what a lucky fellow.
4: Congratulations, Meyer.
3: Yeah. What was it, a boy or a girl? The most beautiful permanent babe you ever saw.
2: (laughs) Abbott and Costello will be back in just a
5: moment.
2: Thanks to the Yanks of the week, tonight we salute Liberty Ship Captain Henry A. Fritz of Detroit, Michigan whose freighter was docked between two Allied vessels at a North African port. During an air raid, both the adjoining vessels began to burn and explode, tearing huge holes in the American ship's hull. Captain Fritz ordered his men to abandon ship, but went himself to the bow, and though seared by flames, chopped the bow lines and enabled the ship to be moved to safety. In your honor, Captain Henry Fritz, the makers of camels are sending too much of marine men on the high seas 300,000 Camel cigarettes. Each of the four Camel shows honors the Yank of the Week, sends 300,000 Camel cigarettes overseas, a total of more than a million Camels sent free each week. In this country, the traveling Camel caravans have thanked audiences of more than 3.5 million Yanks with free shows and free Camels. Camel broadcasts go out to the United States four times a week, A short wave to our men overseas and to South America. Listen tomorrow to Jimmy Durante and Gary Moore. Saturday to Bob in thanks to the Yanks. Monday to Blondie. And next Thursday to Abbott and Costello with their guest, Mr. Edward Arnold. And here's a special message to all young men of 17. Listen to this. Right now, you can join the Army, Navy, or Marine Corps, Aviation Enlisted Reserve. If you want to be an Army flyer, join the Reserve now and continue your school or job until you're 18. And then you'll start training to become a pilot, navigator, or bombardier. Talk to your parents about this. You must have their permission. You can receive full information and printed literature by writing or visiting your nearest Army Aviation Cadet Examining Board or Naval Office of Procurement. Any Army, Navy, or Marine recruiting station will tell you how to find it.
3: Costello with the final word. Thanks, Ken. Well, Lynn Barry, thanks for being our guest tonight.
4: Just a minute, bud. Look, Costello, I want to know how that play ended before Meyer came in.
3: Oh, it was a terrific finish. I'm standing on a hill, all alone. 10,000 blood-curdling Indians are coming at me.
4: How many? 1,000 screaming
3: redskins. How many? 50 ferocious savages. How many? So I killed the old
4: squaw, and squaw! <laughs> Let me out of here! Get us
3: all out! Good night, folks. Good night, night, neighbors. Good night to everybody in Patterson, New Jersey. Woo hoo! Good Good
2: night, Uncle Marty. Tune in next week for another great Abbott and Costello show with our guest, Edward Arnold. This is Ken Niles wishing you all a very pleasant good night from Hollywood.
1: Stay tuned for Philip Marlowe next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Philip Marlowe and a show that was first aired in 1950. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road
7: and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. This time I tangled with a mad Scotchman, a phony English lord and a beautiful blonde corpse in a freight house. All because of a butler who walked on his knuckles. It happened like this. (laughs)
8: From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Monkey's Uncle.
7: Hello.
9: Mr. Philip Marlowe, please. It's very important.
7: This is Marlowe.
9: Oh, thank heavens you're still in your office at this late hour, Mr. Marlowe. I must have your help at once. Right? Cornelius' life is in danger, man, and time means everything. Now, sir, oh, Wait a minute,
7: wait a minute. Directly... Who are you? Who's Cornelius? Where are you calling from and about what? Let's have it a slow step at a time, huh? Hey. Uh,
9: my name's Wesley McDuff, Mr. Marlowe. All right.
7: Lead on, McDuff.
9: I'm calling from a telephone booth opposite the Beekman Plaza
7: Hotel on Hollywood Boulevard with eh? Ashley Duke... Ashley who? Going for the Bateman Plaza.
9: Lord Ashley Duke himself, across the street. I've got Let... to get to him. Mr. Marlowe, hurry. Meet me in the hotel lobby.
7: Yes, Bateman,
9: we've got to stop them. They're going to kill Cornelius.
7: My first reaction was to forget the whole thing. But curiosity is strong stuff with me. In any triumvirate labeled Wesley McDuff, Lord Ashley Duke, and Cornelius had to add up the screwball no matter where you started. The word kill was still big in my vocabulary, so... I buttoned the office up quickly, got down in my car, and drove over to the Beekman Plaza Hotel. Where a ten-minute stand in the lobby produced nothing closer to worried Scotchman than the... plaid covering in a sagging Morris chair. And at the reception desk, there was no Wesley McDuff registered or ever heard of. I'm sorry, sir. So at that, I was ready to call it quits. I turned for the door, but before I got there, I was stopped. The uniform said bellhop, and the sprinkle of freckles plus barn cowlick said all-American boy but the shifty eyes and the narrow mouth that slid over to the side of his face when he talked said something else, like racetrack tough. Say,
10: uh, pardon me, sir, but uh, I happened to overhear you ask after a Scotchman. Uh, Wesley Macduff, was it?
7: Yeah, you know where he is?
10: Well, uh, yes, and, uh...
7: Yes, and, uh, how much? Ten? Five.
10: Okay, sport, five. Mm-hmm. But let's get out of the traffic, huh? Over here, this map, like I was pointing out something to you.
7: That's yeah, a fresh idea, yeah.
10: Thanks. Uh, the viva...
7: Oh, here. Now, uh, where's Macduff?
10: On his way to Burbank, dead drunk.
7: You're crazy. I talked to him less than half an hour ago. He was stone sober and a long way from the party mood.
10: Mm, could be. But 15 minutes ago, I helped Lord Ashley Duke pile him into a cab. Wait a minute,
7: wait a minute. Ashley Duke, how does he fit?
10: Uh, he found this Macduff in the alley outside. Oh. I was just coming back from dinner when I saw him pick the guy up. He couldn't say a word. Huh? But a Blue Shield medical card we found in his wallet read, Wesley Macduff, 13 Vineland Avenue, Burbank. Boy, he was out colder than my old yeah, man. Yeah, and I...
7: now listen, oh. Junior, here's another five. Fill me in fast. Who's Lord Ashley Duke?
10: A nightclub character, entertainer. Lives here with his wife, uh, Lady Ashley Duke, when they're in L.A. Well,
7: this, um, is he legitimate, this Lord business?
10: Nah, nah, but he plays it to the hilt. Why, after we piled that Macduff end of the cab, he dusted his white gloves off, genteel-like, slipped the monocle he wears into his eye and grabbed another cab and shoved. Mm. He's a phony. His real name is Bert Dukes, and lady is Gert. And on her, it shows. What
7: do you mean, shows?
10: That the second she gets behind her door, uh, they got suite 312, she climbs out of her accent like it was a tight girdle. Oh. Especially when she and that niece of hers go at it. Uh, uh, yes, sir, the famous Merrimack caverns are on Route 66 near St. Louis. Oh, good evening, Mr. Fisher. Good evening,
7: Tom. Okay, where were we? Denise, Denise.
10: Oh, yeah, quite a doll. Her name's Merle Brimmer. Acts as a business manager, so she must also have brains. Now tell
7: me, who's Cornelius? Cornelius. Yeah. <laughs> What's breaking you up? Who is he?
10: Nobody but the star of the act. The lord and lady do a farce thing, uh, a takeoff on English drawing room stuff, and Cornelius plays the butler. Plays it in a derby and a boiled shirt, no less. Well,
7: why the giggles? You've seen a derby and boil shirt before?
10: Yeah, yeah, sure I have. But on Cornelius, it looks different. You see, Mister, he's a chimpanzee. <laughs>
7: The affair Cornelius definitely added screwball, but I also knew that prospective client Macduff had been sapped and piled into a cab for good riddance, which could add to less than funny. So I decided to look around a little longer, especially in the vicinity of Milady's chamber number three twelve. When I stepped out of the elevator on the third floor, an owl-faced waiter was just piloting a dinner cart loaded down with dirty dishes out of the room, and when the cart joggled onto the corridor rug, it nearly upset a coffee pot which left the waiter's mind on the juxtaposition of cot and pot and not the door. It he'd left open inches. I waited till he passed me. Then I moved up to where I could both see and hear Lady Ashley Duke and her niece Merle, exploding at each other through an after-dinner conversation. The former was built like an upended blimp with as much charm as a mooring mast. The latter was blonde and female, spy beautiful. And also she was nonchalantly slipping a... Shiny 32 automatic from desk drawer to purse.
11: Oh, Oh. now, wait a minute, Gert. Before you snap a stay, you listen to me. Why? So you can explain once more how poor Uncle Bert's idiotic mistakes are just bad luck. (sighs) Ten thousand bucks worth of bad luck. Nuts. Bert don't know anything about investments. He shouldn't be allowed to touch a red cent. And, my pretty, from here on out, that's exactly the way it's gonna be. Believe me. Oh, cut it, Gert, and quit blaming Uncle Bert and me. Are you kidding? Why shouldn't I blame the two of you? He's a jerk, and you... I never wanted you with us in the first place, my niece. (laughs) Oh, shut up. And remember, dear aunt, your husband likes me around. I'm good for his morale, he says. He'll never let you fire me. So don't waste your breath, auntie. Get out of here. Go on, get down to the freight house and keep your eyes open. We don't want to lose Cornelius. Don't worry, darling. Guard duty's an old specialty of mine. Yes, who is it?
7: Name's Marlowe. I'd like to see Lord Ashley Duke.
11: Oh, well, I... Oh,
10: Well,
7: Ah, yes.
11: (laughs) He's not in, but what did you want to see him about?
7: Oh, uh, business. Uh, Can you help me?
11: Perhaps. You see, I'm his business... She used to be his business manager. She was just leaving, weren't you, Merle, darling? Yes, Merle, darling, was. Mr. Marlowe, Lady Ashley Duke. Goodbye, Auntie.
7: Unhappy, huh?
11: Oh, rather... uh, now, sir, to save each other's time, let me be blunt. Lord Ashley Duke is no longer interested in making any investments whatsoever, nor will he be interested at in a future date. Is that clear, sir?
7: Yes, like well water, Lady Ashley Duke, and if I were looking for an investor, I'd keep it in mind. But you see, I'm a private detective working for Wesley McDuff.
11: A paper! A lousy paper pushing his way uh-uh, in here. Why you... easy, easy, Gertie. Go! Get your filthy hands off me.
7: Sure. Just as soon as you get back in a neutral... I also want to save us time, and I want to save Cornelius, too. How do we talk or wrestle? Which?
11: Oh, all right. Seven weeks ago, Lord Ashley Duke and I bought Cornelius from that crazy monkey raiser out in Burbank. We paid McDuff $30,000 for a run-down 17-year-old chimpanzee.
7: Well, then why do you want to kill him? McDuff thinks you're going to. Yeah,
11: McDuff's crazy. Just because we change our minds and instead of staying here in L.A., decide to go on the road, McDuff thinks Cornelius will catch cold and die so he wants him back.
7: Yeah, but you get your money back.
11: Yeah. What about the seven weeks of work just to teach him to drop a glass? Not only that, he's a wonderful imitator.
7: I can see your point.
11: Besides, a deal's a deal. And we're taking the risk of Cornelius' death, not the loon who runs that Burbank animal farm. Why, that Scotchman thinks every animal in the joint's related to him.
7: <laughs> it's an old idea, honey. But look, Lady Ash... At
11: what? We've had our talk, people. Now get out. Go on. Go on, get out before I forget I'm, uh... A lady. Call
5: for Mr. Marlowe. Mr. Philip Marlowe. Call for
10: Mr. Marlowe. Over here, Tompkins. What is it? A telephone call, sir. Booth 4, this way, please. Make out all right up there?
7: Jim Dandy.
10: Good. Now, uh, if you feel I was underpaid... I feel we came
7: out even, Buster. Besides, I'm running low on farthings. Unless, um... Yes, you know where the freight house Cornelius Calls' home is located. Uh-uh. Blank. Okay. So long, Tompkins. Hello?
10: Mr. Monroe?
7: Yeah. 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 You all right, Macduff?
9: Hey, uh, it takes more than a foul blow in the dark to stop me, man. And it's
7: just what Lord Ashley Duke is going to discover in many minutes. What do you mean?
9: That I've run out of patience. I am going to act, not talk. I'm about to take
7: Cornelius back with my own hands, and I want you to help oh, me. Oh, now, wait a Come minute. Up,
9: man. I'm in a drug store at Pershing Square close by the freight house where Cornelius is caged for shipment.
7: I want you to But You me. can't steal him, Macduff.
9: Ah, oh, hi, I can. Steal him and disguise the animal so they'll ne'er be able to claim him again. So they won't be able to kill him.
7: But Macduff, I can't go along with that.
9: Then I chose the wrong man.
7: Oh. There's precious little time left, Mr.
9: Marlowe. Tomorrow they leave Los Angeles.
7: Now, will you help me? No. Beside Macduff, you'll never get away with it. There's a girl, Ashley Duke's niece, who's got a gun, and I... Macduff. Macduff! All the way from the phone booth, through the lobby, into my car outside, I kept telling myself three things. One, I wasn't working for McDuff. Two, McDuff was about to commit a crime. And three, I couldn't worry about the gun in Merle Brimmer's purse. It was all none of my business. So when I was in behind the wheel of my car, I pointed it toward my apartment on Franklin, lit a cigarette, and forgot about the whole thing. But a block later, I threw the cigarette out, turned, and headed for Pershing Square, Scots with animal farms in Burbank obviously weren't the only crazy people in Los Angeles. After arriving at Pershing Square, I was 30 minutes piling up wisecracks, frozen stairs and assorted giggles before I hit pay dirt. A bottle boy with a great memory.
12: Yeah, sure, I know the place. Only spot around, it'll ship live animals along with <clears throat> the rest of the stuff that they handle. Anything from an eel to an elephant. How about pink ones? You got those, too. That's what I thought. Yeah, I worked there once during, <clears throat> during the Christmas rush. Made the price of a fifth, in one day... Now,
7: did... look, look, you'll do it again right now if you can tell me one thing. The address, what is it?
12: Uh, it's... Um, yeah? 44... Come on, come on. 42. Stick with it. uh, 4th Street.
7: boy. (laughs) (laughs) Here's five. Crawl back in the bottle. I'll see you. The neighborhood was half residential, half industrial, and all run down, including the freight house, which was two windowless stories of dirty red brick hovering over a loading ramp on a deserted, shadowy street. I started slowly toward it when suddenly a side door flew open and an excited old man with flashlight and giant key yeah, ring that spelled please. Night Watchman leaped out of the building, arms and legs, going like twin beaters on a mixmaster. Help
10: me! I can't him, Hey! Hey, Help Pop! Me.
12: Hold it, is it the chimp?
10: Yes! And he's raising the roof in there. Yeah? If I shoot him, I... I'll be fired. He's worth a fortune. Yeah, I
7: know all about it. Come on, I'll give you a hand.
10: Oh, okay, good.
7: Well, let's go. Where is he?
10: Upstairs. Hanging in one window at the back. I just turned the lights on and there he was. Oh. When he seen me, he grabbed a stick from the floor and started beating things with oh, it. Oh, fine. And then he broke the window and began to swing on the block and tackle. He runs outside from the roof to the ground. Look, there he is.
7: Yeah, still beating... Hey,
12: stop, Pop. going to fling it.
10: There he goes. Down the roof.
7: And away. Well... All right, Pop. We better call the cops.
10: Over there, near his empty cage. It's a girl. Blood all over her head.
7: Holy smoke! Merle Brimmer. She did. Yeah. Beat to death with a stick the chimp just threw at us.
9: Then, then you think the monkey did it?
7: I don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no. He's a great imitator, Pop. It could have been somebody else.
10: Not the monkey.
13: Then who? Who else?
7: The monkey's uncle. A Scotchman named Macduff.
8: In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, Groucho Marx will make another of his famed personal appearances on most of the same CBS stations this Wednesday night. Groucho Marx, whose many activities include emceeing You Bet Your Life, one of the craziest quiz shows on the air. You're cordially invited to hear Groucho Marx every Wednesday on CBS. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Monkey's Uncle.
7: I walked around the body of the girl on the freight house floor. I took a close look at the cage lock. There was no doubt that it had been forced from the outside. The watchman staring down at the body was shaking like a motorcycle with square wheels. So I took him by the arm and walked him down the stairs and outside for some air.
13: It's it's terrible.
9: I don't know what to do. Nothing like this ever happened here before. And the boss never told me what I'm supposed to do in a case like that. Well, I it's I easy.
7: Just call the police.
9: The police? Yeah.
7: Also the SPCA and Frank Buck. Chances are we'll need them all before the night's over.
10: Okay, Mr. Sanks. I should. Sure... Hey, who's that getting out of that cab?
7: From the top hat cape and spats, I'd say it was one Lord Ashley Duke, the legal owner of the chimp.
12: Oh, what are you two blighters staring at him? Out of my way. Uh, Just
7: a moment, Hmm? just a moment, before you go inside.
12: I want to talk to you, Lord Ashley Duke. Uh, You know my name, do you? Well, now, my job, that's interesting. I don't know you, sir. I'll survive. Why'd you come down here tonight? Because I heard that my niece was here, protecting my property. That's no suitable task for a girl. Not capable to do that sort of thing, you know. It's a man's job, you know. And a beastly time finding the place, too. You haven't been here before, huh? Oh, yes, yes. A couple of days ago. But that, that, that was in broad daylight. Uh, stand aside, One sir. thing
7: more. Hmm? Why did you slug Wesley McDuff tonight and dump him in a cab? Just who are you, anyway? Private detective Philip Marlowe's
12: name. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Sounds British enough. About as British as you are. Hmm? Oh, yes. Yeah. And you, I presume, are the watchman.
13: Yes, sir. That's me, your highness. What
12: about Macduff, your highness? There's no choice. The blighter wanted to welch on the transaction we'd made. I refused, and he threatened me. So I bopped him. Then uh, made out he was intoxicated, you know. Packed him off in a cabin. Oh, <laughs> oh, uh, uh, nevertheless, <laughs> when a man sells me a monkey, by George, that monkey is mine thought that treatment might bring Macduff to his bloody senses. Well,
7: it didn't. It made him tougher. And what's more, the chimpanzee is gone and...
12: Cornelius is gone. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Come on, Pop. Uh, Okay. Merle. Merle, dear. Where are you? Merle. What? Merle. Merle. What's happened to him? Oh, no. Merle. Merle. Merle, baby. Uh,
13: that's the way she was when we found her. And that crazy monkey was in here just a- jumping up and down like he was
12: throwing a fit. It was Mctuff McTuff, that's who it was. That madman. <coughs> Holy mackerel, what was that? I don't know, but I'm going to find out. You stay here. The
7: scream had come from the architectural blunder next door. It was one of those big gingerbread houses left over from the 1800s, and I got there just in time to meet the witch. The scaly front portal was jerked open in front of me, and there she stood. Like a pool cue in high panic top by a head of brittle orange hair, half done up tight in curlers, the other half streaming over her face. She clutched frantically at the stained kimono with one hand and me with the other. One. Take it easy. Hold it, will you? What's going on?
11: Oh, oh, that face, that awful face. What face? The ugliest thing i ever seen. Oh, protect me. It's upstairs. All right, take it easy. Tell will you, you calm down and tell me what happened? I was upstairs in my room taking my yeah. hair down when I happened to look over at the window. And there was that face shoved right up against the glass. Oh, I swear I never seen nothing like that since before I took the cure, Mr. All right, now listen, and I. Hair all over it, red eyes and a big grinning mouth. What was like one of them giant gorillas they got in the movie? That's
7: Cornelius, all right. Where's the room?
11: Oh, up there at the head of them stairs. Oh. Hey, you ain't going up there and leave me all alone, are Well,
7: then come along. Cornelius, a trained chimp. He won't hurt you.
11: Oh, no, not me, brother. I'm getting. Ah! Where? Where? Tell
7: me, is that a passage out there between the houses? Oh,
11: no, no, it's a kind of an air shaft, only it's closed up at the back. Oh, you mean he
7: can't get through to the alley? Yeah,
11: yeah, that's right. There's no way out of there except the street. All
7: right, come on, let's get outside. We got him cornered. Oh,
11: you got him cornered, baby, mister, not me. I don't want nothing more to do with that ugly puss.
7: The air shaft was a scant 18 inches wide. It was dark and cluttered as the inside of a goat pen with odors to mash. I worked my way back as far as the bashful light from the street reached. Oh,
5: be
11: careful in there, mister. Then I
7: stopped and listened. But Cornelius was a genius. There wasn't a sound. and I couldn't see my hand in front of my face to say nothing of a black-haired chimpanzee who was no doubt getting a big kick out of the entire procedure. I decided to try psychology on him. So I called in what I hoped was a firm but friendly voice and it got me no place. I groped my way along the wall of the drainpipe and called again. This time shorter on the friendly and longer on the firm, which was a mistake. The drain pipe should have given me a hint, but it didn't.
10: Oh! <laughs>
7: oh. What,
11: what? Snap out of it, What's mister? the matter? He's gone.
7: Hold who? Who, who's got
11: that gorilla? Oh. It, it was up on the drain pipe. It hit you on the head with something, then ran right past me and got away in a taxi. Oh, come on, let's get out. Oh, wait a, a minute, wait,
7: wait a minute, baby. I, I could have sworn you said the the monkey took a taxi.
11: Yeah, you did. I watched the whole oh thing. Oh my! As soon as it got out in the street, a man in a checkered tan with a crooked stick in his hand came out from between them buildings over there and called it. Uh? They ran up to a taxi. The driver jumped out and they drove away. I seen him.
7: The driver jumped out and they drove away. Yeah. I don't think you took the cure soon enough.
11: Well, I seen something else, too. A fat breed in a high hat and spats came charging out of the freight house there. Saw the cab leaving, got in a green coat that was parked in front and took off. Holy smoke,
7: that's my car. Oh, it's gone. How do you like that?
11: Yeah. Now maybe you believe me, huh?
7: Every screwy word, sweetheart. Now look, you didn't happen to see...
13: That's the cab driver there Did anybody see what happened? I gotta have a witness My taxi was hijacked off of me by two crazy guys One of them looked like an ape Exactly like an ape
7: Move over, bud We're on the same raft My car's gone, too Tell me what happened Will you start at the top?
13: Okay Tonight I bring this big shot and a high hat Down here to the freight house He hops out Tells me to wait, see? Yeah So I drive down the block and turn around I, I, I'm parked right over there Trying to grab a quick 40 winks When up comes this loon. A Scotchman? Yeah, that's him. Yeah. He throws me a fast address and starts getting in, see? I politely tell him the flag is down, but he keeps coming. You see, it's just yeah, like Yeah,
7: yeah, I, I know, think. it's just like it. Now, look, did you ever see this Scotchman before?
13: No, never. I figure maybe he's got a snoot full of happy days, nothing more. Uh-huh. So I'm reaching over to block him when a pair of hands that feels like a doormat with muscles mm. grabs me around the neck. I twist around and look. And what do I see?
7: Cornelius.
13: Him I don't know, but an ape man is crawling in my wing. So help me, I'm rubbing noses with a missing link. Yeah, I know.
7: Then what happened?
13: Mac, I jump out of the taxi, and before I know it, the old geezer gives me a clout with his stick, piles in, the next thing my taxi's gone just like that. You gotta believe me, somebody's gotta back me up. Huh? <laughs> if I try this on the cops, they'll have me in a padded cell in no time. Well,
7: Don't worry about it, fella. Just reach hard for that address the Scotchman gave you. Can you remember it?
13: Oh, sure. Uh Let me see, it was the... Uh, the the Rushmore, Rushmore, yeah, yeah. That, that's a, a down at the Hills Motel out on Vernon, yeah. somewhere around uh, Beverly Boulevard. Ed Mason's... oh stepped on something here on this sidewalk.
11: Oh, you sure did, Judy. You smashed it too.
7: It looks like somebody's watch crystal.
11: Sure, ladies' watch crystal. Oh, a nice one. See, it had this hunk of black ribbon with it.
7: Ladies' what? Hey, wait a minute. Let me see that.
11: Sure, here. It's velvet. See? Yeah,
7: yeah, it sure is. It doesn't fit. Not here. No one's been here but the three of us and the chimp. So long, kids. Hey,
13: hey, wait, where are you I'm going to talk to a
7: liar about a murder. I'll see you later at headquarters, I hope. But what about my taxi? Talk to the night watchman in the freight house. You'll be good for each other. (laughs) I was two blocks on foot finding another taxi in 15 minutes, getting from there out to the motel, worrying all the way because I'd left my gun under the front seat of my car. Business was slow at the Rushmore. The only cabin that showed light was the last in the rear next to the alley. I was sure of what I'd find inside. In spite of the fact that neither the stolen cab nor my coupe was any place in sight. When I heard the voices, I decided to bluff it. I went up to the front door and pressed my ear against the flimsy panel.
12: Anyway, a bargain's a bargain, Duff. You'd have done better to stick by it. Made
9: right? of stick by it if ye had your scared of crook. Uh-huh.
12: Don't reach for your chain. It's a little late for that. You're in a real jam now. I'm going to see you blame for my niece's murder. But
9: I did not kill her. I pushed her down. I. She caught me unlocking Cornelius Cage and tried to stop me. But I did not kill her. You did that.
12: Yes, yes. But who knows that? Except you and the monk there. And he can't talk. And you won't believe me. Ah,
9: you daft man. Why did you do it? Because I had to.
12: Because Merle was bleeding me to death. Every cent I could lay my hands on. I had to buy her silence. I had to pretend to lose thousands and poor investments. Well... Burl got what was coming to her, and you gave me that chance. I found her on the floor where you left her and simply
9: finished the job. Then you ran off and came back in that taxi 15 minutes later, the very spirit of innocence. I saw you. Very well, Lord Ashley Duke. You've got me as a thief, too, so get on with it. Get on with it, filthy, evil plan. I'm ready. Don't be
7: in a hurry, McDuff. Stay where you are, Ashley. Don't bother turning around. Just drop the gun.
9: Oh, I knew you'd not let me down, laddie. I knew it. what's oh, this, old boy? It's rather an untimely hit. Skip no. the
7: accent, Bert. You won't need it where you're going. Drop that gun, I said.
12: Or oh, you'll move. Shoot me with that pipe in your pocket. Marlowe, I've got your gun. You're in my hand, and you know it. Want a bet? Well, with the light out... Yes, <laughs> Ashley! Oh! <laughs>
9: Oh. Oh, oh. oh it's, it's a very strange thing, lad. <sighs> he hit you but once. Huh? But there are two lumps on your skull. You can this condition. Never
7: mind, skip it. I don't want to talk about it.
9: Oh. Go.
7: <sighs> Where's Ashley?
9: Trust up there in the corner. He should be coming around soon. You see, Cornelius, as you've no doubt learned, is a great imitator. When he saw Ashley bat you on the head with a gun, yeah. he grabbed McCain, leaped up on the dresser there, and batted Ashley on the head. Oh, no, no,
7: no. Not with this headache. Hey, Don't tell me I'm indebted to that. Just when I was learning to hate him.
9: Aye, hey, we both are. For our lives. Yeah. But tell me, what does a black velvet ribbon and a, a watch crystal mean? He mumbled that over and over while we uh, you were out.
12: Oh.
7: Well, that's how I knew Ashley was a liar and a killer. See, the cab driver stepped on a round piece of glass that looked like a watch crystal with a ribbon attached. Uh-huh. Happened on the sidewalk in front of an air shaft. Actually, the... Oh, actually, the glass was a monocle.
9: Dropped by <sighs> Lord Ashley Duke.
7: No. Ashley would never been at that spot. No? But if Cornelius had, and if Cornelius dropped the monocle, it indicated that Lord Ashley Duke had been someplace with Cornelius early at night, you see? Ah. It could only be the freight house. Yet Ashley claimed he hadn't been there for two days.
1: Oh, I see.
7: Oh, you do. Oh, my head. How about you,
1: Cornelius?
7: (laughs) Yeah, well, that's one of the best answers I've had tonight. It didn't take long at police headquarters. Maybe an hour altogether. A killer was locked up for trial and the key witness ate three erasers, spilled a quart of ink and broke a window before the homicide boys finally gave up. I watched the phony Lord Ashley Duke walk down the corridor to his cell. Any connection he had with man was just the category. Then I watched McDuff and company leave too. A couple of regular guys. A monkey. The monkey's uncle. A genuine old Scott who loved life. And his shuffling friend, whose only limitation was his inability to speak. But he communicated all right. In the only language that means anything love of one creature for another.
8: Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman McDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Leavitt. As a special note of interest, Philip Marlowe fans, you'll be glad to know that Radio and Television Life magazine has this week named Gerald Moore as the best male actor in radio. Featured in our cast were Mary Lansing, John Daner, Tudor Owen, Sam Edwards, Michael Ann Barrett, Harry Bartell, and Junius Matthews. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arundt.
7: Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time a case-hardened car hop knocked me down a flight of stairs. An honest woman was strangled by a green silk sash, and a simpering dandy was shot to death. All because of a run-of-the-mill traffic accident 500 miles away.
1: Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Nick Carter, Master Detective, followed by my friend Irma. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night.
0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.